Yes, good morning again. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. I'm telling you, I'm about to be an emotional mess. Um, if I, y'all witness this, if I die this week, sing that last song at my funeral. How deep? How deep the Father's love? How deep the Father's love for us? We've got so much reason to be optimistic. We've got so many reasons to look forward to the future because we serve a God of the future. So I just want to thank God and praise that. And I've got family here. I've got Sarah Blake and the boys here. They're home for a couple weeks. They'll be here till next Saturday. And, of course, they're stationed in Oklahoma in the Army. Blake is. So we don't get to see them too often, a couple times a year. So we're really glad to have you guys here uh, very, very much. I love to preach to my family. <laughs> I was just thinking, I said, there's an opportunity to tell her all the things I've been wanting to tell her in public. <laughs> anyway, hey, listen, we're like week number three of our series, Old School, New School. And that's kind of a, you know, what's that, you know, dicey title. What's that about? Well, we're looking back at 2020, and we call that Old School. And uh, 2020 was very challenging. We know that. However, I really think also it's a great opportunity. See, 2020 revealed a lot of things about us, about us and God, about us and church, about us and relationships, us and our culture. It revealed a lot of things about that. It, 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 it's kind of like when the silversmith you know, puts the silver in the fire and the impurities burned away. Well, it caused things to rise to the surface enough that we needed really to see. Okay, So then we have 2021, which we don't know what 2021 is going to be like. You know, I've heard it said, I shared this with you before, some people say 2020 was just a rehearsal for 2021. We don't know. We don't know. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. 2021 is an opportunity to resolve, to fix some of the things that 20 revealed in us. So it's an opportunity for those things to be resolved finally in our life. Now, the first week we talked about God and us. God and us. God's view of us. And I hope you walked away that day just saying, wow, I didn't know God was so enamored. With, with me. And he really is. And he really is. And then the second week, we talked about us and God. Us and God. And that's not the same thing, okay? And we, we asked a really big question last week. And we said this So, how did you and God do in 2020? How did you and God do in 2020? You know, how was the relationship? Um, were the times you were mad at him? Were the times that you're enamored with him? How did it work out with you and God? Well, today we want to look at God and the church, or perhaps we could also say the church and God. You know, what did 2020 teach us about that? Now, I need to be candid with you, and I'm not speaking just of Doorsville, but I'm telling you, um, the church. The church learned some things about God, and we frankly got mad at God too, just like you guys did, you know. But it revealed 2020 revealed a lot of things about our church, and particularly in our church. Um, we found out we don't always agree, which that's okay, but we didn't disagree agreeably sometimes. There was some, some tension there. And so, so yeah, so, so it was a really revealing time for the church. And we want to talk about the church and God in the year 2020. Now, our scripture today is Psalm 13, and it's just a great scripture. I mean, I'm going to tell you, if you've got, if you've got the worship app yet, 
you know, go down to U version, more events, and open that thing up. Uh, get your pen or pencil out because this really is an important scripture. Uh, you heard it. I'm, you know, talked about Miranda's life. Um, every one of the songs we sang today. Again, the Holy Spirit did such a great job through David picking these songs out. I'm hoping that He will prick your mind. You know, poke your mind. Say, okay, you remember us talking about that in the song. Now we're going to talk about it in the scripture. Okay. Now, now Psalm 13 is a it's a it's a difficult psalm. Okay, and it's written by David. We're not sure when, and we're not sure the consequences. Some some people say, well, as Absalom, okay, um, when Absalom rebelled against his daddy and wanted to kill him. Um, some people say it's the long years that David battled with Saul. You know, he was anointed king, and then he's on the run for like over a dozen years, uh, running from Saul all that time. It was that. May have been uh, perhaps during his affair uh, with Bathsheba. It could have been multiple opportunities, but we don't know. And you know what's good about that? It's because it makes us us. See, if this psalm was about a particular time in David's life, you say, oh, well, yeah, okay, it's really great that it helped him during, you know, Absalom's rebellion, his son rebelling against him, but my son's not trying to kill me, so it really doesn't apply. Well, because we don't know then, we really don't know what it's about, then it's all of ours. We can own this. We can own this, okay? So let's look at Psalm 13, verse number 1, and ask a really important question. How long, Lord? How long, Lord? Now, now, there's several ways, there's several how-longs, okay? Um, there's what I call the Terry Guest how-long. And that is, how long is this guy going to preach? Okay? There's that one. You know, there's that how-long. And then, and then there's the kind where you're going to... Um, actually, I, I use Sarah and Blake. If I understand it correctly, you know, they, they, it's like 12 hours, 11 hours drive to, from Oklahoma to here. And they more got in the car and they were saying, how long? How long? No, but, you know, here's the, how long before you get to Mama and Papa's house? You know, if you're going to Disney World and you're, you know, you've got the kids in the back seat and you're driving down there, and then you might say, how long? And there's that anticipation. There's the excitement of going somewhere you want to go. The last how long, though, is the difficult one. It's when the state police have called and your son or daughter has been a very tragic accident and you're not sure if they're going to live or not. And it's only 23 miles but it seems like forever. And you look to your husband as he drives. How long, honey? How long? How long? That is the tenor. That's the tenor of this how long. It's not the tenor of a bride anticipating the groom on her wedding day. How long before I can see my, my groom? Rather, it's, it's the how long of a broken heart. It's the how long of empty arms. It's the how long of someone who's discouraged, disillusioned, or disoriented with life and with God. How long? But it's also a time statement. It's a time statement. Not only is it an emotional statement, it's a time statement. And we think that God's forgot us sometimes. We, we need to remember something. From the time that the prophet Malachi wrote his part and all the way up to Matthew, the story of Jesus, 400 years. And God didn't say a word. All this silence, all this time, and God said nothing. So, so sometimes this how long, this time statement. See, God's not, God doesn't measure time. God, God's not bound. See, we, again, I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. We want to take God and we want to put him in our box. We want to somehow make him like us. Well, he's nothing like us. And we know time. 
Okay, but God does not know time. You know, in in First Peter, excuse me, Second Peter chapter three verse eight. Listen to this, uh, dear friends. He says, dear friends, don't overlook this one fact. In other words, there's something important. Don't overlook this one fact. With the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. So people keep saying, when's Jesus coming back? When's Jesus coming back? It's only been a couple of days. Don't, don't get impatient with God. It's only been a couple of days. So he has his time period that he's working on. And he has his reasons why he does that. So David's crying out, Lord, how long? And we, during 2020, individually, did we not perhaps cry out, how long? How long? Perhaps churches... Have we cried out how long? Do you know there are churches? Did you know, do you know the second largest church in America who has to be pastored by Andy Stanley, North Point Church in Atlanta, has not had services since March? They've been totally online for all that time. My son-in-law's church, Matt Johnson, a wonderful leader, has a great ministry. But, but due to the fact that they meet in university housing, a university building, and other factors, they haven't met since March. And I'm sure Matt's going, how long, Lord? How long? We often ask that question. We want things to go back like they were. We want, we want God to act, and we want him to back, act now, Lord. Now would be good. Now would be good. You know, what we've got to understand is, is that in 2020, I feel, 2020 was a closure of things. I think God was doing something big. I am... Definitely a, a believer in God's sovereignty. And I don't believe God was just, just allowing 2020 to allow 2020. I think he's doing something really, really big in our midst. You know, that involves change. And we resist change. I know, I know Samuel, in 1 Samuel 16, you know, um, they, God asked a how long question to Samuel. Okay, now, you know, David, in our, in our story, David's asking God how long. Well, in this question, God says to Samuel, well, how long? And, you know, you know the story, you know, Saul was the first king of Israel. You got that part, you know, and he just didn't do well. I mean, he made one bad choice after another. And finally, God said, enough, you're done. Stick a fork in you, you are done. Okay, and so, and so what happens is God's going to choose another king. So he goes to his prophet of choice, which is Samuel. And here, you know, Samuel's like upset. And in 1 Samuel 16, 1, you know, the Lord says, the Lord said to Samuel, how long are you going to mourn for Saul? How long are you going to mourn for Saul? Since I have rejected him as king over Israel. That is so pregnant with meaning. Okay? How long are you going to mourn for Saul? In other words, in other words, now we're not, listen. I can't figure out, you know, maybe, why, why would Samuel, the man of God, mourn for the king who can't do anything right? I think it's his normalcy. I mean, let's say this, you know, you know, King Saul, if there's one thing about King Saul, he was consistently inconsistent. You know, at least you, with Saul, with Saul, you knew what you got, you know, you do. So maybe Samuel's going, well, he ain't much of a king, but at least I know him. I know what's predictable with him. You know, maybe he longed for that. I don't know. That normalcy, that uh, I know what to expect. I don't know. But God says the same. How long are you going to mourn for Saul? I wonder if he's saying the same thing to us. How long are you going to mourn for this normalcy? 
I mean, if you think, chair, if you think, you know, life is random and circumstantial and all that, then this makes no sense to you. But if you do believe that God kind of is control, you might be going, wait, 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 wait. So, so if God, if God allowed 2020 and He has a purpose for 2020, that means He's got something new. So, so why are we mourning for the past? You, you know, what I discovered a lot of things, like in the church. You know, a lot of the things that we did were built on sand. We did them because tradition said we did that. We did them because the Constitution said that. We did it because we always did it. You know? They were built on sand. So, so God comes along and does something that's worldwide, that's bigger than anything we've seen at least in centuries, and, and He does this, and there has to be a reason, there is a reason why He allowed that and why He did that. So God would say to us, why are you mourning for the past? Because, because I've rejected as, as Saul as king over Israel. God says, time for change. And I really believe, listen to me, I'm only just a podunk preacher in a small town in southern Illinois. I think God said something. It's time for a change. It's time for a change. And so I think he introduced 2020 to bring about that change. In fact, he goes a step further. He says in verse number one, the second part, he says, fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem because I have selected for myself a king from his sons. This is a, this is a statement of promise in the future. Look, he says, fill your horn with oil. What's up with this horn thing? Okay, well, well, Samuel had this horn and it was like something you pour oil into. You probably figured that part out. Okay, now... The last time, the last time, you know, Samuel had used his horn was when Saul became king. So, so now God looks at Samuel and says, hey, remember that horn thing you got? You, you didn't sell it in a garage sale, did you? Uh, you're going to need it again, okay? So listen, I want you to find your horn and I want you to fill it with oil because I'm about to do something new. I'm about to do something new. New. So, so go find your horn, okay? Because I'm going to send you to Jesse of Bethlehem, okay? Which probably didn't make a whole lot of sense. And I'm going to select for myself a king from his son. In other words, Samuel, it's time for a new king, and I've got one picked out. I've got one picked out. And you remember the story we talked about even last week. You know, they get there, and Jesse's boys pass, and, and you, know, you know, God says, no, 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 no. And finally, he says, yes. And it's the smallest kid in the bunch. It's not the kingly warrior-looking guy. It's this ruddy little teenager who had to be out keeping the sheep, wasn't even invited to the party. And God says, yes, that's the one. I know it doesn't make any sense, but God's got a plan. Don't you think everything in life is random? Because it is not. It is by the sovereign hand of an almighty God who you get to happen to call Father. Who you get to happen to call Father. So I've got a plan. I'm working out Samuel. And here's the deal. Samuel asked, how can I go? How can I go? You see, you know, Saul will hear about it and kill me. Saul will try to kill me when he finds out I'm about to bring a new anointing in on a king. Okay, there's a bunch of you to learn here. So what's our teaching point? What's our teaching point? Well, number one, we tend, we tend to mourn the past. We tend to mourn 
the past. We tend to mourn what was. Can you identify with that? Yeah, aren't we all, including your pastor, saying, oh, I'll be glad when this is in the rearview mirror. I want some kind of normalcy. And what we're really saying is we want at least a semblance of what was, what I was comfortable with. I mean, would you like to know something? If I'm alive tomorrow, gee, that's twice I talked about me dying. Is it like three strikes and you're out? I don't know. Anyway, if I'm alive tomorrow, well, I don't want to suppose, you know, suppose on God. We don't know. I'm, I'm going to go into the kitchen, and, and I'm going to cook um, some egg beaters, and I'm going to sprinkle some salt and pepper in it, and I'm going to put some bacon bits in it, and I'm going to flip it over, and then I'm going to reach the refrigerator and get a yogurt, and I'm going to have breakfast. And guess what I'm going to do Tuesday? I'm going to have some egg beaters, and I'm, going to, and I'm you know, going to put some bacon bits and salt and pepper, flip it over, and go in the yogurt. Yeah, you know why? I like normalcy. It's my normal deal. I, I, we got more things to eat. Trust we got more things to eat. But I like normalcy. I like consistency. We all do. We all do. So when, when normalcy slips away, we tend to mourn for the past. And we tend to fear the future. That's exactly what Samuel's problem was. New king, danger. New king, danger. I'm going to go on a new king. Saul's going to get mad and he's going to try to kill me. We fear change. We fear the unknown. We fear the future. So here's what we've got to do. And this is so much like from Miranda's story. We must learn by faith to let go and let God. Did you hear what she said? I almost jumped out of my seat. I came to the end of myself. I came to the end of myself. We got to learn to let go and let God. There's an old story. It's, it's an illustration. It's a preacher illustration, but still so good. There's a man who really, really wanted to love God and serve God. However, it seemed like he was always messing up. Can you identify with that? You know, the only way for the new year, God, I want to serve you more. God, I want to love you more. Well, he would do this, and he just couldn't get it together. Okay? So he's on his knees one day, and in frustration in his bedroom, you know, he put paper on the wall, and the letters formed the words, you know, let, uh, let God. Let God. And it seemed the harder that he tried to let God the less he let God. So one day in frustration, he gets up off his knees, he runs out of the room and slams the door. The window of the door does something that he doesn't see until later. The D fell off and it simply said this, let go, let go. So in 2021, as much as we may have wanted to have a stranglehold on 2020, we need to let go. As a church and as individuals, we simply have to let God be God. Let him do what he wants to do. Amen? So, so we mourn for the past, we fear the future, and we got to learn to let go and then let God. So then the psalmist moves on. Now David moves on. He says in the second part of verse number one, he says, will you forget me forever? Miranda, did you say something about God didn't forget me? Although sometimes it felt that way. Has anyone else here felt like God's forgotten you? Yeah, come on, be honest. It's the truth. So David, the great king of Israel, says, will you forget me forever? So, so there's, there's two things here. There's a theo theology question. Will you forget me? Will you forget me? And assuming that's, that's sound theology, which it isn't, how long? How long? Hey, God, God, so, so God, will you forget me? 
And if so, how long are you going to forget me? Well, David had come to the conclusion in his disillusionment, his disorientation, his discouragement, he had reached a point where it was going to be forever. He was pretty sure not only had God forgot him, but he was going to forget him forever. Sometimes it feels that way. Come on. You're going through a difficult time in your life. The job didn't come through. The marriage failed. All of this. The relationships are not good. And it feels like forever. All right, well, here's our teaching point. You know, having a seat in the waiting room doesn't mean God's forgot you. When, when God seems to be, mm-hmm, when, I'm going to speak frankly, when God seems to be taking his sweet time, okay, it seems like he forgot us. We've all done this. I'm doctor's office. You check in, they take your money, and want your insurance card, you know, that's what they want. And so you sit down and, and you wait, and you wait, and, you wait, and all of a sudden you start realizing, I'm not the only person. Don't y'all play holder now with me, okay? All of a sudden you realize every person who came in after you has already seen the doctor and left. And you're still, yeah, come on, come on, Denzel, yeah. So, so you finally say, you look at the window and say, have y'all forgotten me? They're never going to tell you yes, but it seems that way. Have you been to the restaurant? You, now, again, I'm not the only person that does this, but I look around because I, I, I'm gauging. If the guy that comes in after me gets his food, we have a problem. Okay. So sure enough, so we're sitting there, and we wait, and we wait, and we wait, and we wait. Okay, and finally, people start getting their food that came after me. So you, had, you I do. I asked the waitress. I said, hey, what's up? And I, was at the, I was at one of the restaurants locally out of town, but locally... You know, I finally said, what's up with the food? It's been about 35 minutes. You know, she said, well, da-da-da-da-da-da. Seems like the waitress forgot us, or the kitchen forgot the waitress. Something. It's not always the waitress' fault because you haven't figured that out. Okay? Yeah. Okay? So, so, have you ever forgot your kids at practice? You know, soccer practice? So finally the phone rings, Mom, Dad, have you forgotten me? <laughs> yeah. As a matter of fact, I did. See, so sometimes that happens. Okay, well, listen. Having a seat in the waiting room doesn't mean God's forgot you. He won't. Now, you need to write this down. He won't and he can't. God does not have a faulty memory. I forget things. (laughs) I was sitting at home writing a story. My phone rang. It was the chairman of the trustees, Todd Horton, telling me, were you coming to the meeting tonight? (laughs) Uh, yes, Todd, I just totally forgot. And boy, did I. <laughs> boy, did I. I was so embarrassed when I walked in 10 minutes late. You know, we forget. But God won't forget you. God won't forget you. There's a great scripture. I've used it several times, and I will continue to use it, and you need to write it down. It's Isaiah 49, 15, and 16. It asks a couple of questions, okay? And here's the question. Can a woman forget her nursing child? I gave, it was really fun. I was, you know, Sarah so wandered in my office at home, and I was studying for this message. And uh, she asked, how do you do this, Dad? And I tried to explain to her how it happened, told her it was God, you know, which is true, by the way. I wasn't, I wasn't being spiritual. It's true. And so, so I'm sitting there, and, and I said, just out loud, I said, so, Sarah, Sarah, can a woman forget her nursing child? Now, the, the, the baby's at the breast. She's nursing. 
Can a woman forget the nursing child? And she said, no. I said, you're exactly right. You can't. You can't forget a child in that position. That's not going to happen. But then the author goes a little bit further and says this, or lack compassion for the child of her womb. And I said, what about that? And she said, yes. I said, you're exactly right. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but some of your parents have lacked compassion for the child of your womb. You're the one who says, I brought you in this world, and I can take you out. <laughs> Come on, amen? We know that. We've all had points in our time when we go, why did we do this? All right? But then God says this. Listen. He says, even if these forget, even if these forget, I will not forget you. Now, look at me. God's not going to forget you. Nothing you can do and nothing he's busy doing will ever cause him to forget you. I cannot forget. We say, well, how come he won't forget? How can he not forget? Well, verse 16, look, I have you inscribed on the palms of my hands. Now, in the context, in the context is this. Metaphorically speaking, that you know, God is saying to the nation of Israel, I have literally written your names on my palms. That's metaphorically what he's saying to the nation of Israel. But what, what does that apply? How does that apply to us? You know, I have you inscribed on the palms of my hands. Well, let's fast forward um, to A.D. 33, and let's fast forward to this. Jesus dies on the Roman cross, not by accident, not murder, not martyr. He willingly goes to the cross, and he dies. They drive nails through his hands and through his feet. He's buried, he resurrects, okay? So he shows up later after he resurrects, and he's in this glorified body, okay? Now, that's really cool. We know he eats honey and fish after he resurrects. So all you Baptists who are worried about can you eat in heaven, the answer is yes, we're good, okay? I don't know if I have fried chicken or not, but we will be able to eat. So he's got this body where he can eat, okay, and, and he can pass through walls. Isn't that cool? I mean, can you imagine just walking up and whoop, there you are? In fact, he can go from like way over here to way over there. And by the way, if our body is going to be like his body, we'll be able to do the same thing. It's quite amazing. So anyway, so, so Jesus shows up one day and the guys are there, all but Thomas. You know, and they had this time of fellowship and stuff and he leaves. Well, sometime later, they're together again and Thomas is there. And Thomas shows up and, and they say, hey, you not going to believe this. Jesus came. He said, really? Right. <laughs> yeah, Jesus came, yeah. And uh, he goes, no, really, he did. So Jesus shows up. Jesus shows up. And Jesus knows what Thomas said, because Thomas had said, listen, unless I can't see the scars and put my finger in the scars, and then this is kind of gross, put my finger in his, or hand in my, his side, I'm not going to believe. So they meet. Again, Thomas is there. Jesus shows up again. And you know what Jesus says in John chapter 20, verse 27? He says, hey, Thomas, come here. I want you first to see. What do you see, Thomas? He saw scars. Hey, Thomas, what else? Take your finger and put it in the wound. So he did. And then he put your hand in my side. Wow. Now, what's the big point? The point is, this is after Jesus was resurrected in his glorified body. So what's that mean? That means that when you get to heaven, your name is going to be inscribed in the palms of Jesus in the symbol of love. 
You want to know why? You want to? You want to? You want to? You want to know why God left those scars there? You want to know why? Because for eight billion zillion years, and that's just the start. Every day in heaven, every encounter with the ever-present Christ, we see the scars. Because we are inscribed in the palm of his hand. And forever and ever and ever and ever, it says, I love you. And that's why they're there. That's why they're there. And that's why this verse is important to us. Can God forget you? Forget you? You see this scar? I died for you. You see this scar? I died for you. Forget you? Of course I won't. Forget. Wow. That's just so powerful. You know, Chuck Swindoll. Because, again, it seems like sometimes God forgets. Silence doesn't equate to forgetfulness. Silence doesn't equate to forgiveness. That's what Chuck Swindoll said. God's silence doesn't mean his absence, nor his forgetfulness. God's silence does not indicate his absence or his forgetfulness. Silence is God's call for you to grow deeper. See, that's what 2020 was all about. God was interested in growing us. We push back and we resist, but the bottom line is 2020 was an opportunity, and 2021 will be an opportunity to continue to grow in Christ, to grow, if you will, to grow deeper, to grow deeper. So then the psalmist goes on. He says, How long will you hide your face from me? How long will you hide your face from me? Will you forget me forever? Well, how long are you going to hide your face from me? Now, now listen. listen. He's not going to hide his face from you. There's one time it happened. It goes back to the cross. Jesus is nailed to the cross, hands and feet, crown of thorns. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians... Uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, you know, he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become uh, the righteousness of Christ. So, So literally, as the sin is placed on Christ, all the sin is on Christ, he becomes sin. And, and the God turns the lights out, it gets dark, there's, there's rumbling of thunder. And then what does Jesus do? Remember? He cries out and says, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? And the answer, by the way, is because God couldn't look on the sin on his son. So there was a time that God turned his back on someone. But the reason, one, the person was his son, Jesus Christ, and the reason why he could not look upon that sin. But because, mm, mm, this is good, the reason why he can turn, will not turn his back on you is because he turned his back on his son. See, God can look upon us because we are righteous. And we're not righteous because we're good. We're righteous because of Jesus. We're righteous. So, so, so God will not hide his face from you. See, see, the problem isn't that God is hiding. It's that we're not looking. I went to Menards. Um, I think it was Thursday night. I don't remember... I was on a mission. Judy, Judy wanted this particular lamp. We have two of them, and now she wants a third one. She really likes these lamps. 
And so, so show us the third one. So it's got three lights, you know, and da-da-da-da. So I walk into Menards, and there it is, right on display. Boom! There it is. I'm set. So I look around. No, no. So a guy walks by, you know, the little uniform. <coughs> Excuse me. And so as he walks by, I actually ask for help. Can you, a man asking for help. It's a miracle. Jesus is coming soon. Okay? And so, so yeah, so the man walks by. I said, excuse me, sir. I said, can you help me? He goes, sure, what you need, man? I need that lamp. I've looked and I can't find it. He walked like three feet. And here in this box, this wide, this, this tall, okay, with a picture of this lamp right on the front, he goes, there it is. I went, Oh, you mean the box with the lamp that looks like the one that's, yeah. He said, that's right. He goes, he goes I got your back. <laughs> I got your back. What was the deal? I was looking but not seeing. That's the problem. See, see, we don't think God may hide his face. We're just not looking. He's everywhere. He will not abandon us. He will not forsake us. You know, you remember the old story. It's a good one. It's old, but it's good. But, you know, Mom and Pa Kettle were driving down the road, you know. And, you know, the old pickup truck, and she's over there, and he's over here, and he's driving. And she says, Pa, you remember when we used to sit close together? And Paul goes, guess who moved? (laughs) My dear brothers and sisters, if you can't find God, it's not that he's hiding. We're just not looking. He is there. He, by the way, just for the record, he was there all 2020. He'll be there all 2021. And he'll be there all the time because he's not going anywhere. He's not going anywhere. You know, Jeremiah 29, 14, 13, 14. I won't give you the setup because of time. But in Jeremiah 29, 13, 14, God gives us this recipe, this formula for finding him. Here's what he says. He says to the nation of Israel, and it applies to us today, um, you will seek me and find me. You will seek me and find me. Hey, God, whew, boy, you seem to be on vacation in 2020. I couldn't find you anywhere, God. Hey, God, when, when I lost my job, you just didn't seem to be there. Hey, God, when, when my marriage was falling apart, God was lonely. Hey, God, you didn't seem to be there. Well, God says, you will seek me and find me. When, when, when you search for me with all your heart. Oh. oh. See, when, we, when we're totally focused, when we're totally committed, God's very obvious. When we're not, he's not so obvious. Oh, he's there. The box was there. I just didn't see it. But when we seek God with all our hearts, when we search with all our heart, we'll find him. And watch. He declares. He goes, I, you know, I can just hear this, this great voice. I will be found by you. This is the Lord's declaration. God's saying, I don't want to be obscure to you. I want to be obvious to you. But you've got to look. You've got to intentionally look. You've got to intentionally focus on what it is. You know, John Piper said this, and it's so good. He says, in every situation, in every situation, and every circumstance of your life. So, so whatever 2020 threw your way, whatever tomorrow's going to throw you away, you know, in every situation, in every circumstance of your life, God is always doing a thousand different things that you cannot see and you do not know. God's not sitting around. God's not absent. God's not bored. He's doing a thousand different things in our lives, 
okay? And in our, our, our being that we don't see. God is always doing something. I love it. Now, this is another one of those verses that I hope you remember the song. Okay, listen to this. This is Isaiah 64, 4. Since ancient times, okay, since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. There's no God like our God. There's no other God. You know, you know the, the prophet's saying, whoa, 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 whoa. You need to know something. That Allah fella, he's not a God like our God. Yes, ask any Muslim. It's all about work, 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 do, do, do. And if I do that, I might get to go to heaven someday. Ask the Hindus. Ask the, ask the Africans who, who, um, do, who do the animistic religions in Africa. Ask, ask the agnostic in America. Ask the, the humanistic person in America. They're gods, whatever they are. You don't get a lot of help from a vote or a house or a car. But the prophet says, God speaking, there's no God besides you who acts on our behalf. Isn't that great news? That's, y'all getting, you're getting quiet now. Don't get quiet. Don't get quiet. Isn't it great we have a God like that who will always be there? Well, the psalmist goes on finally to verse number two and says this. How, I like this one. How long will I store up anxious concerns within me, within me, agony in my mind every day? I better read that one again. How long will I store up anxious concerns within me, agony in my mind every day? So, so the psalmist is now saying, God, how long am I going to allow this stuff in my life? That's like saying, hey, God, how long am I going to be unhealthy? How long am I going to be overweight? How long am I going to be an alcoholic? How long am I going to be a drug addict? How long am I going to be a bad husband? How long am I going to be? How long? How long? It's a great question. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. You know, it's an honest question, but it's on us and not God. It's on us and not God. The issues in our life are not on God. Rather, they're on me. They're lies and honest questions. You see, the answer isn't on God. It is on us. Every time. Every time. Well, Dwayne, how do you know that? How do you know that? Well, I know that because of 1 John 5, 4. Everyone born of God overcomes the world. So if you're a Jesus follower person, then you've overcome the world. Okay? Well, okay, Dwayne, well, how do... How do you know, we preachers love to throw this stuff out. You don't go, well, that's great. How do you do that? Amen? How do you do that? Well, he gives us the answer. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Even our faith. The, reason, the, the way we overcome this is our faith. See, David was saying, here's what David was saying. Lord, here's what he said. How long are my circumstances going to be like this? Because David was sure if he could eliminate his circumstances, instantly his life would be better. It, 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 the problem was the circum, The problem was the circumstances. Isn't that what we say? It's not my fault. If God would give me what I want, we'd all be happy. If God would just do this, we'd all be happy. And according again to 1 John 5, 4, the circumstances are not your problem. Your faith is your problem. Your faith is your problem. 
Listen, go back to January of 2020. The stock market was booming. There was really no COVID. There was a small news article on the third page. No deal. And guess what? Our circumstances were still messing with us. The problem isn't that. The problem is our faith in God. And our faith in God has to be strong when things are going well. It has to be going when things are not so well. They have to be going both ways. So the psalmist moves down a little further and says this, How long will my enemies dominate me? Again, it's on you, sir. It's on you, ma'am. Hey, God, how long are my enemies going to dominate me? And you know what the answer is? As long as you let them dominate you. Because again, he who believes in Jesus has overcome the world. And what's the victory? Our faith. How long, how long circumstances control you is up to you. How long do enemies dominate you? It's up to you. Well, why? Dwayne, that doesn't seem very helpful. You've got this great God. You've got this great God. And he loves you. Now, is he going to act as fast as you want? Probably not. Will he do exactly what you want him to do? He's not a puppet. He's God. But does he love you? Does he love you? Does he love you? Yeah. Yeah. He's enamored with you. He is wild about you. He's wild about you. So trust him. Trust him. This whole deal, this whole deal is trust him. You know, you know, in verse 3, the first part, you know, he says, moves, the psalmist moves on, Consider me and answer, Lord my God. Lord, give me an answer. And Jeremiah said it best. You will call to me and come and pray to me. And then I'm going to listen. I'm going to listen. So finally, in verse number 3. It's over, Terry, almost. Terry always cheats me about how long I preach. It's a, it's a sanding joke. Amen, brother. Amen. Would you tell that to the guy over here with no hair? (laughs) Restore, Thomas David says, restore brightness to my eyes. Otherwise, I will sleep in death. You know, the eyes are the windows to the soul. You've seen people before, their eyes just say it all. They're sad. They're hurt. They're broken. They're banged up. They're beat up. They're bruised. Their eyes are so empty. And David is saying, whatever the circumstance, he's saying, would you restore the brightness? Would you restore the joy? Would you restore the joy of the life to my life? Would you do it? If you don't, God, I think I'm going to die. When David got caught, the Bathsheba thing, when David got caught, um, Samuel went to him. It's you, David. And boy, it just broke him. And, and he wrote Psalm 51. If you haven't read that recently, you've got to read it. But in Psalm 51, verse number 12, David writes the same word. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. This is a verse for 2021. If we're coming out of 2020 discouraged, disoriented, and disillusioned, we need to pray, God, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. We need to ask God to restore the joy. Now, what's joy? Okay. Biblical joy 
is a sense of a deep sense of well-being based on our faith in God and trust in sovereign rule. Do you remember that? You should have that tattooed on your hand. Okay? Biblical joy is a deep sense of well-being based on our faith in God and trust in his sovereign will. So, so David is saying, restore that faith I had in you. Restore the relationship that I had. Restore the faith I had in your sovereign will. Lord, restore that to me. And that needs to be our prayer for 2020. Let's be honest. I can't change the circumstances. I can, if you want me to, I can get up here next week and preach this really optimistic that, that the vaccine is going to work and, and COVID's gone forever. The economy is going to go great. Your 401 is going to explode and, and your kids are all going to have straight teeth and get scholarships and we're all going to live happily ever after. Well, we're going to live happily ever after. I'll give you that one. But I can't promise your circumstances. Those are in the hands of a sovereign God. But he's greater than your circumstances. Don't try to fix it. Let it be. Trust him. Let go. And let God. Let go. And let God. The first step. If you're here today or you're watching on Facebook or maybe listening on the radio and you kind of stumbled upon this broadcast or maybe in the future, the first step is putting your faith and trust in the man who died on the cross. Not becoming a Baptist, not getting religion, okay? But putting your faith. The Bible says, God so loved this world he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But God demonstrated his love toward us that in while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's the first step. If you're here today and you're, you, you know, banged your head against the wall through 2020, uh, the answer, not to the perfect life, but the answer to peace is Jesus Christ. And my friend Brent's going to be fanned down front, and we would love to share with you about Jesus. You know, I said we're not enamored with religion at all, but we really like, love Jesus a lot. Amen? We really do. And that's what you need today. You don't need religion. You don't need a denomination. You need uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, forgiveness of your sins. Maybe you're here today and you already have done that. I hope this has encouraged you. I hope this gives you something to work on. You know, your faith, your faith, your faith in God. Letting go and let God. Letting go and let God do his mighty work. Trust him. Trust him with a future that he's writing for us. Um, last time I checked, he has a perfect record, never a mistake. Never a mistake. He's got this. He's got this. Let's trust him. Let's bow right well, Father, I sure thank you for the privilege of sharing this today. I'm glad it's true, Father. When I read, sang that song about your great love, I knew it was true. And when we sang the song about it as well, it was true. It was true. Father, I pray for my friend here today or on the radio or on Facebook who, who perhaps has never placed their faith and trust in Jesus. You love them so much, Jesus. The scars in your hand tell of your love. May they personally experience by turning from their sin and choosing to follow you. For all of us who know Jesus, may 2021 be a time of submission for us, of surrender. May we be willing to place our faith and trust in you with our lives. We trust you with our soul. Help us to trust you with our lives. I want to pray, Father, that you will draw people to yourself as you see fit. And Jesus, I pray this. In your precious name, amen.